Uh, it's really great to have the chance to um, to speak with you this morning. Uh, before I really jump in, I actually just wanted to, to say a big thank you to you as a church um, for the, the welcome, really, that you've given Jen and I since we've been here for the last couple of months. Um, we felt really welcomed and kind of supported and encouraged uh, from day one, really. And we're honestly thrilled to be a part of One Church and be a part of what happens here. Um, so just thank you from us for making us feel at home um, already. Uh, so in case you're new or just don't pay much attention, I've, uh, I've taken over the leadership and the oversight of the worship team and the tech team since uh, September, which has been a real privilege for me. Uh, this has been a role that I've had in a few churches over the last sort of um, decade. And whenever I've gone to a, a new church and started to lead a, a church family in, in corporate worship, I felt like it's been important for me to at least share with you guys a bit of an overview of my understanding uh, of worship as a theological concept and, and a spiritual practice uh, to hopefully uh, encourage you guys in your worship, but also so that you kind of know a bit more of where we're coming from as a worship team uh, when we're leading you in, in corporate worship, and so that you get a bit more of an understanding of the what and the how and the why uh, of worship. First off, though, and, and I appreciate this is slightly rogue for a sermon, but first off, I've got a little exercise for you. Um, if I were to ask you for a very short and concise description and definition of worship, I wonder what your answer would be. So, for like a minute, maybe 90 seconds, can you have a chat with the person next to you and see if you can come up with a very short, I'm thinking like a couple of sentences, a short description of what worship is. And if you're new and have no idea what I'm talking about, in which case, just ask the person next to you who they are and how they're doing. And if you're online, then write in the chat box your answer to this as well. And spend about a minute and then we'll have a chat. There's loads of chatter. That's good. I'm glad people are, people are talking. Um, right, to make it slightly more rogue, I'm now going to come round and I'm going to find out what some of your answers were. So, I'm going to start here. Jack, can you give me your very brief description of worship, please? Uh, so, me and Neil both said it's something that starts individually in connecting with God, in singing and playing instruments, that then leads into the corporate everyone together whilst being led in worship. Oh, that's really nice, isn't it? It's wrong. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> let's try. Let's try, Jake. Um, well, we just uh, we were just talking about it, and uh, I said that it was a, a place, not necessarily here, but somewhere that you can enter into, whether it be at home, whether it's in your car, whether it's in a group, or whether you're on your own. Just a space that you can enter into, just to. Just to lift your hands and just, yeah, what Pat said, show appreciation to God and, and just worship him. 
Yeah, very nice. I should say there's not really a right or wrong answer to this necessarily, but I think it's, it's helpful sometimes to hear someone else's description of it because it might awaken something else uh, in your understanding. Uh, let's do a couple more. Let's go. Uh, people are like, oh, please don't come to me. But we're going to go Mary Kaysen. Uh, we discussed that it's um, like a personal connection with God. That's fine. I did say short. That's, that's short. That's good. Thanks. I think people have had quite enough of me. I can see the fear in your eyes as I walk around. So. <laughs> um, right. As I was saying, it's not like there's a right or wrong, but it is helpful to hear people's how other people engage with it as, as a concept. Uh, I'll give you my definition. Ben, if you could put it on the screens for me. This is how I would summarize worship. So understanding and believing that God is who the Bible says he is, that Jesus did what the Bible says he did, and responding by offering every area of our lives to God as vessels for him to work through. I'm going to read that again. Understanding and believing that God is who the Bible says he is, that Jesus did what the Bible says he did, and responding by offering every area of our lives to God as vessels for him to work through. So in short, I would say it's our response. We see and recognize God for who he is and what he's done, and that requires a response from us. And there's a few people kind of sort of mentioned it. That kind of has to be more than just singing songs on a, on a Sunday. And the Bible tells us actually what our response needs to be. And we can find it in, in Romans 12. So Romans 12 verse 1 says this, and you, you might have heard this before. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So there we are. We're told in no uncertain terms, really, in the Bible, what our true and proper worship is. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does that actually mean? Because I know a lot of us would have heard that verse before, and so we're kind of used to the language that's within it. But I think uh, to the unchurched, or maybe those who uh, aren't Christians, that can sound like a pretty freaky verse. The language isn't, isn't all that friendly to someone who's not necessarily been in church for a long time. So what does it mean? I think with a bit of context, this is actually an invaluable piece of scripture that helps us understand why and how we're called to worship. And there's two main words from this that will help us understand it. Uh, firstly, sacrifice. Now, the passage we've just read uh, is in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, animal sacrifice was a really important part and a key part of, of worship for the Israelites. It was a way God instructed his people to worship. And there's a couple of different layers to this. So firstly, it's essentially similar to tithing for us today. Animals were people's livelihood. So that the giving up and, and sacrificing of a goat or a lamb would have cost them. They would have felt the cost and the weight of that act. And I would argue even more so than we do, but in a similar way to how we do when we financially give to the church. Giving is an act of worship, but it costs us. Secondly, the, the sacrificing of animals was ultimately pointing towards Jesus. So the first time 
we see an animal being sacrificed uh, in the Bible. Does anyone know? Does anyone know when the first time? I'm looking at those who are who like when I was a kid were, were in church and were wise people. So I'm looking at like David and and Katie. Does anyone know when the first animal sacrifice is in the Bible? And the worship team pull through. <laughs> yeah, Peter's right. Actually, the first time that we see an animal being sacrificed is in Genesis. And it's right after Adam and Eve sin and they eat from the, the tree of forbidden fruit. They realize that in that moment, they're naked. And what does God do? He covers them in the skin of animals. He sacrificed an animal to clothe them. So in that moment, a life paid the price for their sin. And that was a temporary model that we see used as worship throughout the entire Old Testament until Jesus comes. And then when Jesus comes, the ultimate sacrifice is made and the biggest price is paid. And now the need for animal sacrifice as such was made redundant. And instead, we have this new instruction in the New Testament for how to worship, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the second word in this then, really important one, living what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I think it means to offer all of our lives and everything we do to God, quite simply, doesn't it? Another way of putting it, I guess, is it means uh, inviting. That's a conscious decision from us. We invite God into every area of our lives. This is what we're told is our true and proper worship. But as is often the case in life, it's... Um, it's easier said than done. It's easy to invite God into, into some areas of our lives, the areas where we're quite comfortable for God to move and to, to work in, like so in church or in our private prayer life, when it's just us, us and God. It's easy to, to ask God to move in those sort of situations or in our Christian relationships or in our families, for those of us who were you know, lucky enough to be raised in, in strong Christian families. It's a bit harder uh, in some of the other areas of life. It's a bit harder sometimes at work in those meetings where we just walk away with a, a slightly uncomfortable feeling in our spirit about what's just been discussed. Or those moments where we know we probably should have said something, uh, but we didn't. It's a bit harder sometimes for our kids in school when maybe they feel pressure to be someone or do something or live differently um, when we know, in fact, Jesus wants them to live in the ways that he asked us to. It's a bit harder in those difficult relationships that we, that we can have with people where, this might be a bit blunt, but where it feels like they make it really hard to love them well. It's, it's hard to live this stuff out in some of those moments and in those relationships. It's easy to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in particular areas of life, but to offer our whole and all of ourselves, to make every area of our lives an opportunity for God to use us and work through is more difficult. So how can we do this? How can we strive to live in this way that God asks us to? I've got one really uh, simple but hopefully helpful piece of advice. Uh, ben, I wonder if you can put the next picture up. Does anyone remember these? Yeah? I had a good few of those, I think. What does it stand for? What would Jake do? No. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Uh, there was, a, there was a, a very short space of time where I think it was kind of cool to be seen wearing these. Um, 
safe to say it might not have been the case for, for a little while, but I, I, I think, although they might have gone out of fashion, what they stand for is actually really helpful. I think they were amazing because you would see that on your wrist all the time. It's like a watch. If you, if you wear a watch, you, you constantly catch yourself glancing at it to, to, to see what the time is. Um, and just like these bands, it would remind you, whenever you saw it, whatever situation you were currently in, those words kick in. What would Jesus do in this situation? Now, I'm not trying to bring these back into fashion, but, but I think imagining that we're wearing one and living as if we would see and glance at those four letters several times a day, thinking the thought, what would Jesus do several times throughout each day in the big things and in the little things, would go a long way to helping us live out our true and proper worship of offering all of ourselves for God to work through, of inviting God into every situation and circumstance and opening ourselves up as as vessels for God to to move through. You might have seen uh, at some point some of the the, the writing on my my arm. The one at the very bottom is essentially doing just this for me. So that's that's 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 where, where Paul says... I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Have I become all things to all people? No. I fall short all the time. But because of where it is on my arm, I see it all the time. And I'm reminded time and time again that that's what Jesus asks us to strive for. Offering myself time and time again as a living sacrifice. So as we go into this week, let's imagine we've got those bands on and seek to invite Jesus into every area and let's just see what he will do through us. So where does singing come into all this? Because that's what we've done this this morning. We've, We've worshipped together with Peter leading us, singing songs and we'll sing a bit more at the end as well. So where, where does that come into, into worship? Let me, let me show you something. Can I have the next one, please, Ben? That's an iceberg. Did you know that with an iceberg, the bit that you can see from above the water is only 10% of the size of the whole iceberg? And the rest of it is unseen underwater. It's a bit crazy, actually, I think. If the total size of the iceberg was just a 10%, then it would probably be pretty insignificant. But that huge chunk below it, the 90%, makes it far more of a, of a force to be, to be reckoned with. Do you know, this is actually why the Titanic sunk. They, they saw the iceberg, but they thought because of what they could see, that it was smaller than it was. It wasn't like they didn't see it. They saw it. They just misjudged the size of it. If it was only 10% of the size, it wouldn't have been a problem, but sadly we know that it was. But I think this is a really good example for worship. The 10%, the bit that's seen, that, um, that public bit, guess what that is? That's the Sunday. That's the corporate worship. That's the singing together. That's the praising Jesus and song. It's all really important stuff. But the 90%, That's everything else we've spoken about. That's the offering of our lives as a living sacrifice. That's opening ourselves up and allowing Jesus to move through us and allowing Jesus to speak through us in every situation and decision. That's the imaginary WWJD band on our wrist that reminds us several times a day 
to act in ways that are pleasing to God. That's us not conforming to the patterns of the world around us, but instead being transformed by the Holy Spirit. What's also really key here for us to understand is is what this looks like if the 90% isn't there. What if we're not doing that stuff? What if we're not living out our true and proper worship, as Romans tells us? Well, then, uh, this again sounds blunt, but I'm sorry to say that the 10% by itself is, is pretty meaningless. Because it's, it's empty words, and it loses its power. It doesn't have the weight behind it. It doesn't have any of the roots. But with the 90%, it becomes a different... It's, 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 a, it's extremely powerful, because this, this is what happens. When we give God everything and allow him to move through us, he delivers. We've seen him deliver. We, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't seen God move miraculously in our lives and, and do amazing things. If we allow God the space to do it, we will see him do amazing things. And then our faith increases as we see God move, doesn't it? So if we allow God to move through us fully and see what he does and be encouraged by how he moves, then when it comes to the corporate worship, we come with more thankfulness when we sing songs about all Jesus has done for us. And we come with more faith when it comes to singing songs about what we want to see him do in us and in our community. And we come with more passion to see heaven on earth because we're encouraged by the glimpses that we've seen inviting Jesus into our lives already. And I don't know about you, but for me, worship isn't, uh, isn't just a one-way conversation either. I find that although the purpose of corporate worship is to glorify God, I often find that as I worship, he speaks back to me. I receive words from God during worship on a regular basis, and, and I'm sure some of you have too. And let's just be clear for a second, it's not why we do it. It's just an added bonus of glorifying God, because that's just what God's like. He's a generous God who loves to have connection and relationship with us. So essentially, if we get the 90% right, if we understand what our true and proper worship is, then our corporate worship gets lifted. And if our corporate worship gets lifted, then we likely get further encouraged to go out and do the 90% as well as we can. So it's like a kind of cycle of blessing, isn't it? But if we're not giving God that all-access pass to our lives, aren't seeing the full fruits of what he could be doing, aren't living out that true and proper worship, then the opposite's going to happen. We might still enjoy singing the songs. It might give us a little bit of a lift and a, and a spring in our step on, on Sunday, but that might be all it's going to be for you. And it won't last. And it won't sustain you. And it won't have the roots. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite Peter and, and the band up uh, to lead us in, in a song, and we're going to sing uh, a song called Build My Life, and I imagine a, a number of you will, will know it. And it's such a good example of a worship song, this, because it says, Jesus, this is who you are, this is what you did, and this is what I'm going to do about it. This is my response. And that response is us saying that we're going to build our lives on you, a firm foundation. We're going to fully trust you. We're going to let you into every area of our lives. And we want to see you move through us and through our community. And it might be the 1,000th time you've sang this song or made this declaration, and it might be the first. But let's declare this now and ask God to move through us again, holy, and offer all of ourselves to him. And let's get into our true and our proper worship together. So shall we stand and we'll sing together?